Before we start this week's show, I'd like to remind you that The Brazilian Report is funded by subscriptions and support from loyal readers, as well as subscribing to our website and getting exclusive daily content on Brazil and Latin America. You can also treat our staff to one to five cups of coffee a month. In return, you get exclusive benefits like special newsletters, behind-the-scenes content, as well as a shout-out here on our podcast. And today, I want to thank our Buy Me A Coffee members, Mark Hillary, John Thomas III, Luis Haynes, Aaron Menace, Orlando Black, Steve Knapp, Aaron Berger, James Coney, Carlos Vresvik, Alasdair Townsend, Peter Abrahamson, Michael Fryer, Miller Renacido, Jim Awofadeju, David Dixon, Felipe Saito, José Rose Stankovic, Gabriela Graf Innes, Emerging Market Muser, Yarden Iftar, Tonica Thompson, Anderson da Silva, Kat Kramer, Fra, Peter Suffering, Anna Lund, and someone who chose to remain anonymous. If you also believe in the importance of independent journalism, And if you want to hear your name on our podcast, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash Report and subscribe to one of the membership tiers. If you cannot make a monthly commitment, you can still tip us a cup of coffee every now and then to give us the energy boost we need to cover a country as complex as Brazil and a region as complex as Latin America. And we appreciate all your support. Click on buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report to find out more. Inflation remains high and widespread in Brazil, undermining consumers' purchasing power. The latest unemployment report shows an increase in the joblessness rate. Benchmark interest rates are sky-high and will remain so, even if cuts begin sooner than expected. And on top of all this, work productivity levels are falling to 2016 levels, though that is not unique to Brazil. The credit market is on red alert as data shows default rates rising. Household debt levels increased again in February, and nearly a third of families have defaulted on their liabilities. All the country's major banks, except government-owned Caixa, have seen their rates of non-performing loans, 90 days or more past due, going up quarter after quarter. Oh, And there is a banking crisis lurking in the background, which could make investors wary of putting their money in riskier markets such as Brazil and the rest of Latin America. An economy on shaky ground raises the stakes for the government's promise to introduce a new fiscal anchor. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, I'm the editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. Markets are eagerly waiting the Brazilian government's proposal for a new fiscal anchor, which will replace the current spending cap. 
That cap has been in place since 2016, but was rendered redundant by the previous administration's attempt to win re-election through excessive spending. The government has kept its cards close to its chest to shield the proposal from criticism before all the details are ironed out. Finance Minister Fernando Haddad on Monday called recent leaks about the issue, quote, inappropriate. But just minutes after Haddad spoke, Vice President Geraldo Alckmin gave the markets a spoiler. He said on Monday that the new anchor should be based on a tripod. Combinando curva da dívida, de outro lado, superávit, de outro lado, o controle do, do gasto. Consisting of keeping the debt curve under control, ensuring primary surpluses, and controlling public spending. But Alckmin went into no further detail. This week, we welcome back to the show Mário Sérgio Lima, a senior Brazil analyst at Medley Global Advisors. Mario, glad to have you on the show again. So, what did you make of Geraldo Alckmin's words? Anything different than we were already expecting to hear? Hi, Gustavo. Thanks for having me here again. Well, basically, I think he, as general guidelines, uh, there, there were, it, it wasn't a surprise. I mean, it is what, what the market's expecting, and it is what uh, generally is expected of a fiscal framework which is basically uh, the, the attempt by the government to put uh, fiscal accounts into some, somewhat of a sustainable trend uh, to allow for public debt to not uh, overshoot or, but, but uh, in, in the most positive way, to actually uh, uh, start getting, getting to a lower uh, level than we have right now. Uh, because I mean, the level that we have right now, it's it's huge for a country that is still a developing developing country. So Brazil needs to tackle the situation. But as you may 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 know, it's not a, a, an easy task. It's never an easy task uh, for a government in Brazil to uh, curb spending, especially a left wing government which has a more uh, proactive, if you may approach to social spending, uh, especially social spending, but also public investments. It has a, a somewhat of a, 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 a stronger belief of the importance of uh, public uh, investments to boost economy. So it's never an easy task, uh, but... It's something that not only markets are expecting, but it's something that Brazil needs in order to get get itself in a sustainable uh, path for, for its economy and also allow the central bank to finally start mon easing the monetary policy. Finance Minister Fernando Haddad has taken a heavy dose of friendly fire, right? I mean, members of the administration and Workers' Party bigwigs have consistently defended the use of public banks and state-controlled companies to induce growth. And I mean, I remember criticizing the Workers' Party for not really standing up as an effective opposition to Jair Bolsonaro. Well, it seems the party's catching up, but only doing so against its own camp. 
And at the same time, Lula himself is saying that books on economic theory are outdated, which does not necessarily inspire confidence from investors. What do you make of all this? Is the Workers' Party going rogue? Are they doing this on Lula's behalf? Or it's like the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing? Well, uh, yes, I think I think that it's a little bit of every one of those alternatives. Uh, for 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 starters, I believe that the the, the Workers Party it was a, a the, they won the election by the tight, tightest of the margins. So uh, there is somewhat there's a concern uh, amid those ranks that they, the 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 window that they have to make any sort of move that would be unpopular. And like I said, curbing uh, public spending is even more unpopular uh, in that demographic that was responsible for their victory. So uh, any movement that would make them lose this kind of support could uh, make them vulnerable. And if Dilma Rousseff's government is, is, is a template of anything, there are people uh, within the party that consider that, that Dilma uh, won the 2014 election promising, uh, some, uh, uh, promising uh, a bigger, a bigger uh, a boost in, expan in expenditure, in public investments. And then he, she had to... to to do so, uh, almost like a uh, 180 degrees flip and started to, to uh, cut expenses and doing the opposite. And that like ruined the, the social uh, support that she had, which allowed impeachment to, to move through. Uh, while there, there is some, some you, you could make a case that they may be right into, into thinking, uh, uh, into using that as a cautionary tale. At the same time, what happened there, uh, it's not, it shouldn't, it's not the same now, and it's not going to be fully replicated if they actually uh, propose something that is sustainable and it's good for fiscal policy. First of all, Lula himself, he is a, a very savvy politician. Dilma wasn't, and Dilma. Uh, didn't have uh, any anyone any anything to fall back on when she was negotiating with Congress. Yes, and Lula did enact austerity measures during his first spell in office, right? I mean, it's not as if his administration was spendthrift from day one to the last day in office. No, yes, I mean that he has that to fall back on. So, uh, and, and but he also has he and he also has a stronghold over uh, the left wing, uh, the left wing, uh, if you may, like political agenda of the left wing, he has a stronghold that Dilma didn't have. So uh, he, he can make, he can actually quash those, those in, in, in fighting uh, if he wanted to. Basically, he wants to do, he, he's trying to, to have uh, almost like, almost he wants to have his cake, the cake and eat it. Which is a very tough uh, ask if you if you if you think about it. He needs to be uh, fiscally responsible, not because he owes anything to the markets, but that's what the the, the investors 
need to see in order to put money in Brazil. We, uh, we are looking at a very uh, challenging global environment for economy. We may have uh, somewhat of a, a, a liquidity tightening moving forward. We may be on the verge of a global recession if there's this banking crisis that uh, we are seeing in the U.S. and we started seeing with the Credit Suisse in Europe. So we, we may be looking into a very difficult environment for emerging markets and for Brazil. So if Brazil doesn't have his, his fiscal accounts in order, if Brazil doesn't have, uh, if Brazil doesn't do its homework, we may see uh, investors fleeing from Brazil, which is now the, the dire scenario for any uh, expectation of economy expansion in Brazil. So they need to take some of those steps. So while uh, he may be like uh, blinking to the left-wing supporters, I think they are wasting the opportunity to actually present this as an important uh, measure that they are taking to actually assure uh, the social uh, spending that they they defend and they and that Brazil actually needs. So they they are not really uh, making making a unite in united rhetoric in how those things are important to assure one well, the fiscal sustainability is important to assure the social uh, spending. They're not one against the other. So they're wasting precious time now, uh, which makes you wonder what, what's happening in the, in the government itself. They really need to, at least, especially um, uh, within the PT, they need to have uh, uh, one, one, uh, one idea that's the government's idea, and that's their push. Uh, even if they have all these fights uh, inside the party, this shouldn't be brought to the outside. So uh, in my view, there is a mistake. Uh, they just cannot have the, bo the bonus of a, a good fiscal framework that's going to attract investment while at the same time not getting any sort of backlash from doing austerity measures. You really, you cannot have the cake and eat it. Now, Mario, what is fascinating to me in all this is that in November and December of last year, markets seemed to despise Fernando Haddad. And I remember stocks plummeting when he was announced as finance minister on December the 12th. But nearly three months into the new government, Brazilian investors' major concern is no longer the finance minister, but those who are actually trying to undermine his actions. How has he become this sort of unlikely ally for investors? You, you know, uh, actually, in that sense, I think <laughs> the government has done something good, which is actually making the finance minister, like, he, he has to get the respect from investors more than the rest of the government, more than the president of PT, Glazy Hoffman, who is one of his most uh, vocal critics. Uh, within the PT. So in that sense, they are doing the, they're taking the right steps. The problem is when you have this kind of infighting, uh, at some point, you know, like the, the, the finance minister really needs to be empowered by the president. So it does, even if he's singing the right tunes to the markets, if he tells the right things, but he's trampled by the, the, the cabinet, it's like he's a decorative figure, which is not 
the best the best uh, look for a finance minister. So uh, I think that should be tackled inside. But but I, I do have to 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 make a point that uh, there was a little uh, especially not only uh, if you look at Marcus really priced in. Uh, a lot of the shenanigans that Bolsonaro did. If you look, I mean, Brazilian real really uh, the dollar overshoot compared to Brazilian real. Brazil, in, in dollar terms, Brazil's Ibovespa really was very bad in those four years. So, uh, and and the, the the Brazilian the the risk the credit risk in Brazil has increased, and also the 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 rates. Uh, and also, if you look at the swap curve, it, it grew, grew when Bolsonaro there. So the market itself, it, there's a misconception that, oh, the market's against uh, everything that the left does and uh, accepted everything. That's not really the case when you look at the market pricing. That is the case when you look at the market, if, you, if you'd like, the, the people that actually speak on behalf of market may have this bias uh, and and it seems like they didn't punish Bolsonaro when he did the shenanigans, which it actually did. You know, like the market actually punished Brazil, and uh, it's going to punish again because if you remember, Gadges was keep saying is saying the right things, but he was being trampled by the political side of the Jair Bolsonaro's government, especially in the last year. So uh, it, it, it's it, if Haddad is much of the same. And with the, the added uh, effect that the left wing traditionally does not believe in curbing uh, fiscal sp- spending, so that creates, of course, uh, a, a worst ca- the worst case scenario because uh, it, it's it, you, you, markets may be right or they may be wrong, but it it is a fact that left wing governments uh, usually do not have. The, they have somewhat of a credibility uh, credibility issue, uh, credibility deficit, if you make for markets. So they really need to show some some sort of commitment before they can have some good get some goodwill from investors. Now that credibility deficit that you mentioned is greatly illustrated by a recent poll that shows that 98% of hedge fund executives in Brazil believe that the administration is taking the economy in the wrong direction. Foreign investors, however, are not that pessimistic about Brazil. Why does there seem to be this major gap between how foreign and local investors see Lula? Well, uh, I, I would take that that poll. I think that poll is very good. Uh, no, 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 no question about the quality of the poster. But I would take though that result with a grain of salt in the sense that, first of all, even if they were like eighty-two uh, fund managers talking to uh, talking uh, 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 answering the poll. Uh, that doesn't comprise of everybody. In, in like, it may be, it may have gotten some selection bias, in, in in a sense that people that actually went and responded were people that were more, uh, more, uh, more, uh, more ideologically firm into one side of the spectrum. But also, you you should also read that poll as this is what market. Uh, this is like the vo- the type of vote of confidence that you can get in the market. That doesn't mean that those people will be against the government all, all of the way. This is just like they are us- using this opportunity to actually send a message to the government. 
that when you have a, a broader pool with every with uh, everybody in the society, you wouldn't have the same result because basically, uh, in in that specific poll, people are actually trying to send a message to government. Uh, you know, as a as you made a, a, a way of kind of like pushing the government to other direction. So it has you have to read that poll. Uh, with a little grain of salt, but the difference uh, actually stems from the fact that foreign investors actually have a more a better uh, comparable outlook to other countries because those fund managers are allocating. Usually, the guys that are that are looking at Brazil are allocating. Uh, they are responsible for emerging markets, or if there if it's a bigger company, only let them. So they have a more comparable type of outlook. And and also they have a little bit of a medium term uh, look, medium medium to longer term look. While the locals they are way more uh, affected by short term uh, trading. So in that sense, they may be a little more skeptical. While there is, of course, the ideological bias, it's undeniable that there is an ideological bias. Uh, especially among locals, which the foreigners could look and say, hey, Bolsonaro is doing uh, all sorts of uh, crazy stuff and doing all, all of the wrong things and like making Brazil almost like a pariah, global pariah, and not taking care of Brazil's environment. So in that sense, those guys were actually very down on Bolsonaro, while the locals uh, were less uh, less inclined to take those things to, to actually put put those things into perspective when they are making investments because they have a shorter term, which I, I, I'm not saying that one is better than the other. I, it's just a matter of uh, it's, uh, probably the foreigners are way more short term when they look at their own countries when they are allocating. So it's a, it's a, it's a bias that you just cannot uh, overcome. Uh, but when the government's sending all sorts of mixed signals now, they may uh, lose the goodwill from foreigners. And that's a big risk. Now, you talked about local investors trying to send a message through that poll, but it doesn't seem that the government is getting that message. I mean, when commenting on the poll I just mentioned, uh, the Workers' Party actually said, quote, 98% of the financial markets are against the Brazilian people. What are the costs of taking this belligerent stance against the markets? Uh, I, I've always said that uh, no government should uh, govern uh, for the markets. Because of I me, mean, even if the market is not like a one entity, it's like a, the almost like a, the median of the all of the people that are actually allocating and trading and real economy is actually affected by what happens there. Uh, it's still, it's still uh, there. It's a part of the society. So, why you should not, uh, with with interest, is not even they're not even vested interest. You know, uh, you shouldn't govern uh, for them, but it's also unwise to govern against them. You just really cannot get uh, a lot of favor, and as much as you want to. To take it, to make make them like a, a, it's almost like a straw man argument. You know, you just make the 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 
the the market as some sort of major scarecrows that you just they are against the people at the same time you know those are the people that are actually going to put the money to allocate uh, their their own wealth into the risk that you present so uh, as much as you create noise you increase the the level of risk which the investor was, would say like okay I would need a higher premium to actually uh, face this kind of increased risk. So, I mean, poorer Brazilians, even if they are not uh, directly uh, trading, (laughs) they will be affected by the outcome of this this, this kind of noise-ridden political environment. So it's it's unwise to actually be taking such a belligerent, like you put, belligerent stance. Maybe it's, you, you, can, you can have some sort of strawman argument uh, as a political rhetoric, but when cooler heads prevail, you actually need to at least take some of that suggestion and actually put in, try to get to a middle ground in which the markets may not be completely satisfied with what you present, but uh, it is what you can deliver. But at the same time, you actually show some commitment that you will will not be irresponsible when looking at, at uh, the financial, the fiscal accounts. Mario, we have talked a lot about the government, but truth be honest, good or bad, no fiscal anchor will be adopted if it fails to pass in Congress. And you have written for the Brazilian report that Lula still does not know how strong his coalition really is, right? Well, uh, that, that's, uh, it's very difficult to gauge at this moment how strong and he is or he can be at Congress because we didn't have any voting. Uh, usually, you know, you, it's, 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 it's rather the government put up some lesser bills uh, in the Congress to actually gauge the kind of support they can get. So when you, of course, you won't start with that when in a major bill like the fiscal framework or the tax reform, that's not where you're going to start looking at how, how big, how strong can you be. Uh, seems to me like there, there's some part uh, within the government, especially people um, uh, within PT, that believe that Okay, like the fiscal anchor, you just send the fiscal anchor. We we can oppose a lot of this, but like the even the opposition will vote for it because uh, the opposition would be in favor of austerity anyway. So they they will vote for it, and then we can get we cannot be like the 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 bad guys here when we need to approve this. I mean, I think that's a, a very risky calculation. And when you do not have an united front within the, the, the government and the, the ruling coalition, in a, in, a may, in a key piece of legislation like this one, you really run the risk of actually allowing the, the opposition to just either uh, drop it altogether or uh, making it uh, a little more strict than the government is capable of delivering. So you're just like, creating creating a roadblock that you can't overcome. It's much easier when you have this kind of... Uh, I, this is very uh, defined on how many votes and what you can you, you should be 
taking as a, as as a, what what's the leverage you get in the negotiation with Congress. So they really need to have this this kind of uh, ruling coalition, broader ruling coalition, if you may, well established and well oiled up when we have those major votes. And for now, we are seeing a lot of headbutting, a lot of clashes, and nothing that you can be fully assured that they will form the they will form the, the number of votes that they need to pass this legislation. So it's not it's not it's not an easy moment for the government. Uh, it and it's it, it gets even compli- more complicated because there is infighting between uh, the head of Senate and the, the the lower house speaker, which I mean it's it's terrible. It's it's uh, and it's something that the government really doesn't have much. To, if if they empower one side against the other, they will lose the the, the goodwill in one of those two houses. So it's 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 not an easy fix for the government, but at the same time, they are not taking the right steps into making amends. It's 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 uh, they are partially to blame. Now, Senate President Rodrigo Pacheco does seem to be more willing to play ball with the government, just like he did with the Jair Bolsonaro administration. But Housekeeper Turilita is much more of a sphinx, uh, and he has already openly talked about the fact that the government has no absolute majority, let alone this constitutional majority that would allow, among other things, passing a new FESCO anchor. How do you expect that relationship between Lula and Lira to unfold? Well, uh, it is, uh, there is, I think, when, when we're talking about the negotiation of Lira and, and, the, and the government, you, you could actually say that they are both, it's almost like one of those situations where both of them have nuclear bombs uh, and both of them can use it. But when, 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 the first push the button, both of them will be destroyed. So it's really not uh, not a relationship that will be as peaceful uh, as maybe the relationship with Pacheco will be at Senate. But uh, you just cannot. If Lira really tries to hurt the government in, in a way that he they cannot pass legislation, government can make their his life a hell in terms of uh, sending money to the constituencies of lawmakers and will work uh, to what their, their, their uh, bargain, bargain is to actually make him weaker. And just remember, next year we have municipal elections in Brazil and uh, Lira really needs to have a lot of his own, his own uh, allies winning those elections. So, if he takes a hit, he can also uh, he gets so weaker than we may see him getting completely destroyed. If you remember, uh, Rodrigo Maia was seemed like he was the all powerful uh, when he was the, the lower house speaker, and basically the guy wasn't even a candidate in the last election. So you can really like burn your political capital very fast if you go head on against a government which may 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 be more popular than it is right now. I mean, and to your point, political capital in Brasilia does not mean political capital outside of Brasilia, right? 
you know, it's funny. It usually doesn't, you know, like very good uh, law, uh, congressmen, like guys that are very powerful in Brasilia, are very, they, they find it very hard to get votes. If you, There's one example, Romero Juca. He was the, the government leader in every government at Senate because he was a guy that actually knew how to negotiate uh, legislation and the, the support with the government and, and with, with lawmakers. And he has failed uh, twice to be elected in his state. So it's not a... a it usually does not translate well. I mean, the all-powerful leader, if you remember, he, he lost the election for his supporter, lost the election for, uh, for governor in, in Alagoas. So it, it, there's, there's so much power you can have being in that position. It is important for both of them to strike some sort of a deal, but uh, it's not going to be easy and people are going to take to, to use the, the, their, their leverage as much as they can to actually get more from the other side. Uh, but I do believe that the government will aim to strike a deal because uh, even if it's not going to be possible to get the necessary votes to impeach a president, I mean, this is a guy, the, the lower house speaker is a guy that can start a pros- impeachment procedure, which like hijacks the, the, the legislative agenda to the point that you just, it's a, a crisis in the making. And this is not something that the government would be willing to, to face. You mentioned a lot of head bumping within the government. Just a few expected problems with winning the election with the promise of a big tent? Or is there something more worrisome in terms of political coordination? I mean, does this give us a negative beacon of the relationship between the branches of government? That's the, the worst part, you know, because if you look at the, the headbutting within the government, it's not like, you know, like PT people are headbutting with, are butting heads with uh, Simone Tebet or Renan Filho or the guys from, from the, 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 demo, the Union Brasil party or the PSD party. No, <laughs> most of the, the, the infighting comes from within the PT. So, I mean, you're not really, it's a, how much of a broad alliance is that where you, even the, 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 the ruling party is, is somewhat trying to, to undermine the others, the others and especially themselves. So this is lack of coordination. This is something. And also, uh, seems like Lula is way too anxious to get the ball rolling very fast. And every time that you, uh, if you go into a negotiation, I mean, any negotiation, political, or if you're just buying a, a car, you know, if you're the one that has little time to actually close a deal, the other guy has the most of the leverage. So uh, it's, it's not, I wouldn't say that this is something that can't be corrected. Uh, probably they will need some losses at Congress to actually get get this oiled up, but uh, they have wasted uh, three months, if you, almost like six months, if you consider that this, they are like the government de facto ever since they won the election, because the last government really failed to actually govern the country in the last two months, last year. So they, they almost wasted like half an year in this kind of trying to, to 
to actually form a ruling coalition and try to actually form a united front, at least for the legislation. So it's the clock sticking. You don't have a lot of time to be wasting. Mario, thank you very much. Always great to have you on the show. Thank you, Gustavo. Mário Sérgio Lima is a senior Brazil analyst at Madly Global Advisors, and he's also a columnist at the Brazilian Report. You can read his analysis at brazilian.report. And if you like explaining Brazil, please give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It takes only a second, and it will help us reach a wider audience. Or better yet, sign up for the Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We have a subscription-based business model and your memberships fuel our journalism and keep us going and growing. Thanks to our subscribers, we have been able to cover Brazil and Latin America extensively. And for our work, we have won or been shortlisted for multiple international journalism awards. In order to keep doing that work, we really need your support. Go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. I'm Gustavo Ribeiro. Thanks for listening. Explaining Brazil will be back next week. Oh,